It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger. Is a I can't get settled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's because we don't want to like spend the first ten minutes settling. So. No, I I think we can just get right into it. You think so? I think so. I feel unsettled, but maybe a little feisty. Ooh. So that could be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like feisty. Mike. I think it's Allison. She just brings out the feistiness. Hey. <laughs> to the shores. <laughs> to the shores. Sorry for this inelegant. Glass. Yeah, I feel um, somewhat offended that you brought your giant yeti in here with water in it. I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't. I can't do whiskey anymore. It's okay. I understand. I'm, I'm with you in spirit and mm-hmm. spirit of whiskiness. <laughs> I like the spirit of whiskiness. Yeah. I could pour my water in the glass. You could. Should have thought of that earlier. Yeah. It's Till okay. I... I'm glad that you're going to be hydrated. Thanks. <laughs> this is also a lovely message. Say it out loud. Oh, uh, I, don't, I can't see it. Yeah. Say it out loud. What do you want to say out loud? Uh, this, this is our team, our Mama Bloom, my postpartum group. Um, oh, right. During the pandemic, we were... We were each other's like life support and one of our team members is a therapist. And so as we were all having our individual breakdowns and issues, she just kept reminding us, just say it out loud. Whatever just it is you need to say. Say it out loud. Like we're here, just say it out loud. So it became kind of our like theme for surviving the pandemic. But I think it's also very suiting for postpartum. I think it's helpful for just life, right? <laughs> Yeah. So before we get too far into that, for those listening, we have Allison Backlund with us tonight. Thank you, guys. I feel so happy to be back. It's been First a long time. First time on time. video. It has been a long time. It has been a long time. Um, I feel a little nervous with the video feature. Mm-hmm. But You uh, look great. Thank you. Lots of red. For, for, those of red you, <laughs> for those of you listening, Allison's wearing a shirt with a giant heart on it, and it says, get in here. Get in here. <laughs> I do like that. Say it out loud. Mm-hmm. I think there's an aspect we've talked a lot about this, maybe, but there's an aspect of figuring out what you're feeling and what you're thinking mm-hmm. that you have to say things out loud. You have to put things to words and speak them. There's something real in that that you can't access without doing it. Yeah. I think that's very true. Um, just in your own mind, in the confines of your own mind, thoughts and feelings can take on a life of their own mm-hmm. that can be consuming. And then you say it out loud and someone else hears it. And it, the truth of that thing gets into the light mm-hmm. by being witnessed and heard. And so it was very very powerful for me over the last few years. Was it, was it kind of this, this sort of saying that kind of made you start kind of thinking in that way, saying it out loud, or was that kind of prior to this also? Um, well, I mean the pandemic and everything that I was personally struggling with just, I had never struggled with mental health in that way, like that level of intensity. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the necessity to say things out loud and to acknowledge my, what was going on with me became more real and 
it became real in a way I had never needed hmm. before. Um, so now I'm like full believer, like say it out loud. Yeah. It's kind of similar. You, you do a lot of art journaling and actually mm -hmm. teach art journaling. Yeah. I feel like there's something really similar to that. Mm -hmm. It's putting, it's moving something from inside of you to outside of you is where the, the clarifying power is. Yeah. It's, um, expressive journaling. And I, I like the visual of like, you're literally X pressing, like mm. pushing something from the inside to express out. And, you know, I've thought a lot about that, even just listening to the last two episodes about Mike and your dad and that phrase, y'all brought it up last week, uh, where he said, so much of what moves us and drives us is just under the waterline yeah. of our consciousness. And that's, I feel like art journaling, which is really just to start with visuals before words. So you start with imagery, you start with color, you start with all kinds of any kind of just express visual expression um, before you try and make meaning out of it, before you try and assign um, logic or understanding. Uh, it's just the process of letting that part of your brain talk. Mm -hmm. And, and it, yeah, there's, we have so much to say. Our subconscious has so much to say and we have so much to learn from it. Um, if you give it space, but mm -hmm. our brains are so kind, right? It's like our, Minds are going to keep us from being overwhelmed by the quantity and quality of all that we carry within us. And um, so, yeah, we have to make space for it to really draw out the understanding, to draw out the truth of what's going on inside us. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pull this away from you just a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, how, do you, how do you create space for people? I know there's, there's that, like, how do you draw people in? It's their first time to do... Um, page mage is your is your company and like how do you draw people into that space to to start i mean i, I could imagine as a beginner you're like oh, i don't know what to do or how do i right yeah that's my favorite um because so many people just get triggered by the word art in general like hmm. automatically you hear that you're like oh i'm not an artist like oh i'm i'm not a creative i don't i don't do that stuff hmm. which it's so unfortunate because actually we all do. We're creative beings, right? Like every cult, every child in every culture around the world creates art. They draw, they dance, they sing. Yeah, It's inherent to our humanity. And then at some point we get educated or judged or, you know, something comes in to shut that down, mm. um, our expression down, natural expression down. And then we adopt that as our identity. I'm not an artist. Um, so my, I mean, my, my most frequent line when I start groups, I'm like, Hey guys, we're at this art journaling workshop. And guess what? You do not have to make art today. <laughs> like, we are not here to make art. And so it's about like shifting focus from, I have to make this pretty thing that means something to, well, maybe, maybe you're going to like this thing in the end. Maybe you won't. It doesn't matter that, the value is actually in the process and the understanding that comes from engaging in that process may not make sense to you today. Hmm. It may not make sense tomorrow, but I promise you at some point, whether it's three years or, you know, 30 years from now, like this thing that you make is going to be with you and it will have meaning at some point. Pablo Picasso said that all children are born artists. Mm -hmm. The trouble is to remain one as you grow up. Mm -hmm. 
And I was just, as you were talking, thinking about how true that is, like children draw. There aren't really children that don't draw. And I wonder why that is. And maybe it's because they're trying to make sense of a world that is completely incomprehensible to them. And there's something exploratory about it. They're not trying to make art. They're trying to explore, to process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to process, to learn. Um, I think we, it's just so natural in children to express what's going on inside and um, to symbolize like your place in the world and, and also bring forth your imagination. Like kids have so much access to imagination mm-hmm. that we don't. Um, and it's, it's just the most natural thing hmm. to express it. Do you think we have less access to imagination? For sure. Really? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, which this kind of ties into a class that I'm taking right now called eidetic imagery. And that's a whole conversation, but, um, that's what we're here for. <laughs> I know, like, it's a conversation. We've got uh, hours. So. <laughs> but yeah, because our, so one of, like one of the ways to look at it is that our culture is left brain dominant. Mm-hmm. So left brain is where the language, I'm going to have to move that because I'm going to keep hitting it. Um, is where language happens. Is where strategy happens. It's where logic and reason live. And that is the primary way that, our culture engages in society. So um, imagination is coming out of the right side and in the deeper, um, more primal parts of the brain. So I don't think like imagination never goes away. Our creativity never goes away. But if we don't make space for it to emerge and to have a life of its own, um, it, I think we, I don't think we lose it. Maybe our, our connection and our comfortability and accessing yeah, that definitely. diminishes. I would, I think that's how I would say it. Um, I think that it's sort of similar to the, the Adam and Eve story, <clears throat> you know, Adam and Eve eat of the apple and it's like they wake up, they become aware of their nakedness and they're ashamed. I think when we're kids, we tend to not have very much shame. Hmm. We'll be silly. We'll dance. We'll run, climb. We'll do whatever we feel like doing. And then at some point around puberty, you kind of wake up and you're like, oh, shit, like people are noticing me and they have thoughts about me and that's very uncomfortable. And so you you become just more aware. And that's, I think, when we tend to stop doing some of those things that we did naturally as children. Hmm. Yeah. And there's, you know, that's good and bad. Like Eric Neumann, I don't know how you say his name. I think so. Something. Yeah. He was one of Carl Jung's students and he wrote this book where he described the natural, the, the proper progression of growing up as your, you're a child and then as you grow up, you have to go differentiate, Hmm. differentiate yourself from your parents and Hmm. from the rest of the world and stand up as an individual. But that isn't enough. Once you've done that towards the second half of your life, you have to start reincorporating what you left behind. Hmm. Hmm. You can't just be an individual. You need to be an individual who then consciously and purposefully picks back up what you laid down in Hmm. your youth Hmm. and makes proper use of it. 
That's beautiful. Do you feel like you you're there yet? Hmm. No. <laughs> hmm. I think it's probably that's getting close. Mm -hmm. I can I can start feeling the need for that. Yeah. And something in me that's a little bit more calm about that. Because mm -hmm. as you're growing up, you like you want to be mature, you want to be respected, you want autonomy, you want authority. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you look young or something is or act young, you kind of shun that. You want to move out of that. But there's something in me that's I think growing a little bit softer as I get older that's saying I'm okay with um well, not knowing, or I'm, I'm okay with feeling ashamed, or I'm okay with feeling embarrassed in a way that I wasn't in my 20s and early 30s, maybe. Hmm. Right, right. And I think that that's something like the proper position to have in order to engage in things like creativity. There's a willingness to try and fail, a willingness to feel embarrassed, a willingness to be ashamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's and that's one of the like one of the obstacles to creativity um is the self-judgment and well cuz we I think part I think part of too why we stop is that we get judged, you know, like in school. Well, you're in you're 4 years old, 5 years old at home drawing papers and your house and mom's loving it and it's all good. Yeah. But then you go to school and all of a sudden you're getting a grade or comparing yourself. Yeah. Right. To other people. Comparing and it's like someone's getting more praise for their dog picture than you are. And so there's that comparative thing. And so the judgment starts coming in. Um, and so we have just loads of that by the time we're adults. And um, so part of my job, so I'm also a creativity coach. So part of my job, one of the strategies for getting around that is to give yourself permission, right? To like, okay, I'm going to make some ugly art. I'm going to write a shitty sentence. Um, it's like to set the objective of doing something bad mm -hmm. because then you succeed at doing the bad thing, but you have this like spark of success that fuels, you know, fuels your reward system and you want to keep going. And so I think there's, there's like, we have to like trick ourselves into back into that place of youthful um, openness. What's the trick? Well, the trick is, I mean, the trick of saying like, for, you know, that example that I just used of like, okay, I'm going to make, make a shitty painting. Well, it's like, you've, you've just removed the pressure of performance. Mm -hmm. Um, and that the pressure for performance to perform, like to create this beautiful thing, that's what shuts us down. And so you're saying, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it bad. And then you do it. And then that is just getting starting. It's like you tricked yourself into just starting. And once you start, it's like this whole world opens up. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was thinking of, uh, I was trying to segue that into a quick story. I recently, <clears throat> um, maybe over the last couple of years, started hanging art on my walls. Yes. And that's been an, an unbelievably profound experience to hang art on the walls. And as a part of that, I really recently went and had a bunch of pictures of um, <clears throat> my family and some pictures that I and some other people in my family have taken 
from trips and things like that. I had maybe a dozen of them printed and I went to thrift stores, spent like a, a weekend going to thrift stores and buying frames. And then mm-hmm. I had mat board cut to all the right sizes and then hung all of like a dozen pictures up in my living room. And it was this amazing experience uh, that I'm trying to figure out why I felt like it was so profound. And something you said about if you just start, mm-hmm. something that you don't un- expect will unfold in front of you mm-hmm. and it will grab your attention or it has the potential to grab your attention. And then once it grabs your attention, you start negotiating with it. So at the beginning of this, I thought I really want pictures of my family and specifically my dad up on my walls Mm -hmm. since he passed away. And when you start to imagine a project like that, you're like, I don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. You go maybe look at frames online or a framing company and you're like, this is gonna cost me $10,000, this is crazy. And then, you know, but now the thing is starting to unfold and your brain starts responding to it. And I said, okay, well, what if I go to thrift shops? And then you get stuff and it's kind of shitty. And I think, well, what if I took this one and I painted it or I took this part off this one and combined it with this one? And then you get the prints printed and like, well, which ones are you going to print? And you have to engage in this process. Yeah. And once they were all up on the wall and I looked at it, I thought, not only are all of those images and the memories that they evoke meaningful, but there's a whole series of decisions that I made just in getting them onto the wall that mm-hmm. reduced an infinite set of possible things I could have done down to what exists in reality on the walls of my house. Yeah. And so I not only see, I see that meaning, the meaning of choices, the meaning of intention, the meaning of love, and then the meaning in the eyes of my loved ones who are looking at me through images. And I think Mm -hmm. this is profoundly meaningful Mm -hmm. and it happens just simply by starting Mm -hmm. and then responding and negotiating with the process. Yeah. And I think that that's what art is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were, yeah. I like, I like how you just went with that, like, because it can get so overwhelming, right? When we think of doing something creative, like, mm-hmm. and the just the overwhelm of thinking, oh my gosh, how much money, what frames, where, and that, right. I mean, that can shut people down, like, right there. And so to figure out, like, what's the one next step? Like, what's the one thing I could do, like, right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the success of that one step, and that sparks like that sparks your um, motivation mm. to keep going. And yeah. then it sparks cre- curiosity. And then, and it just keeps feeding on itself if you can just take the one step. Yeah. And so, you know, when, people, when it comes to projects, you know, I often tell people like, how can you make this easy? How can you make it fun? Like what's, whatever it is you have to do, whether it's like cleaning up your desk or writing the next Broadway show, well, what's what's one step? You what's your first step? The easiest thing you could possibly yeah. do, like the smallest thing that you act, make it so small and so doable that you literally cannot fail not doing that step. Right. Because once you have that one thing, it's like bam, and then it just keeps going. Yo, I think I have to turn the AC on. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> do it. Go for it. That sounds good. 
Yeah, we usually have the AC off because it adds a little bit of noise in the background. But I think uh, Texas right now, it starts to get kind of toasty. <clears throat> yeah. We're not, we haven't switched over to sweat mode yet. Uh-uh. <laughs> usually I, I I have a like a, a time frame in the year where after this certain date, I do not wear sleeves. Mm-hmm. Like it is tank tops and spaghetti yeah. straps only. Like we've made it to mid-May. It's usually much hotter <laughs> by now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, okay. Good. That was starting to take up a lot of my mental capacity <laughs> just thinking about how hot I was. <laughs> Texas. I, I love you, Texas. I love you. Uh-huh. But that was uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm glad I'm not alone because I get overwhelmed by sensory experiences yeah. very often these days. Mm. So, I liked that idea of take something small. It's back to the, the, the quote, pick something that you could do that you would do. I was about to say that, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, totally. Mm-hmm. I knew you were sitting on that one. <clears throat> you took it from me, man. <laughs> well, you were talking about <clears throat> writing a Broadway show. Like that's a big grand endeavor and you like might sit down and think, I don't know how to write a Broadway show. It's too big, but maybe you could write a story about a person who wants to write a Broadway show, but doesn't know how mm-hmm. that's something you could do. Mm-hmm. And I, something I think about a lot is that <clears throat> our brains are capable of generating an instruction set that keep, could keep us occupied infinitely hmm. like there's so many ways that you can think about things and you could write you could write yourself instructions for how to spend your next every day of the next you know the rest of your life yeah essentially whether or not you would do it you definitely wouldn't do it but you have the capacity to do that, the sure. ability and that amazes me. so sure. if you ever don't know what to do you can just ask yourself you ask yourself a question yeah because our brains are wired to answer questions. Mm-hmm. And that's another component, I think, of engaging with creativity is to be able to ask yourself the like good questions. There's like crappy questions and there's good questions, but either way, your brain's going to answer them. So like with the Broadway play example, like, oh my gosh, how can I ever write a Broadway play? Well, you just asked, you just tasked your brain to figure out how to write a Broadway mm-hmm. play, whether you're conscious of it or not. Like that question is going to be your in the background, like your mind is going to be trying to solve, solve that problem. <clears throat> but if you ask yourself, what's a really little step I could take to start writing a Broadway play? It's interesting, just even in your tone, because I think that's what we do to ourselves too, that it was more of an exasperation in how you asked the first question mm-hmm. of, man, how can I ever write a Broadway play where it's like, huh, I wonder what's, what's small step, what's something that can get me there? Like there, I think that's, I think those tones are also within us that, that kind of like put those roadblocks uh, in our, in our way. Right. Like there's a, there's a component of mindfulness mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. that is a practice. Um, but yeah, being aware of what kind of questions we're asking ourselves every day, just that in and of itself can be so illuminating. Mm. Well, and to listen for the answers. Mm-hmm. You can ask yourself a question and you will get an answer. 
but you may not want to listen for it. And then often too, you, you get an answer and you don't do anything about it. <clears throat> like the number of times I've written down like a to-do list and thought, what is it that I really want to accomplish this weekend, let's say. Yeah. And then those to-do lists end up, you know, like I always write down more than I'm able to, and I never really come back to them. So there's things that I honestly answered to myself, this is important to me to do that I don't do, you know, in part because there's not enough time or I'm late, too lazy or too selfish or <clears throat> too ashamed and I don't go back to them. And I find that when I do that, they keep yelling at me from the past. Hmm. Like, hey, you didn't do that. You thought that was important and then you didn't do it. And hmm. I can feel my integrity disintegrating because that's a hard thing to do, to say, what is it that I really want to do? Answer that honestly. And then if you don't do it, who are you hmm. who doesn't do the things that they want to do? I mean, that seems like a really unkind way though I, to me i'm like god it's so harsh man mm. um because like how are we to know what's really really important in your lived experience it's yeah. like yeah i can i value this and this and this and all of these things are important but then there comes your like real life and that you can't control yeah. and and you do your best and so i think I mean, I think if you make a list for the weekend and you put 20 things on that list, if you get like two, <laughs> if you get two or three done, like win, win, winning, win. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I guess it doesn't sound harsh to me because I think about that and I think, man, who could I be and how much better would life be and my home be if I did all the things that I know, know that I want to do that would be good to do. Hmm. Okay. Like I, I can, I appreciate, I can hear that and I appreciate that. But are you also giving yourself full credit for the things that you do do? What did you accomplish that did not do do? <laughs> I, I, I can't not think of Chandler know, being on friends. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, okay. So you write down this list. Have you, but also you probably did a whole bunch of things that were not on that list. That's true. And do you, do you get credit for all of those things? I try to go add the things to the list that I end up doing because you think of stuff, you know, mm. during the middle of the day or whatever. Um, or I didn't realize how complicated one thing was going to be. So I had to do some other things. I try to update the list. <laughs> That's okay. impressive, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or I mean, on your list, is there rest? Mm. No. Why not? I think I have written take a nap on a list before. Like rest is a really important or I'll write Wim Hof breathing. Mm -hmm. um, rest, play, uh, connect with myself. I mean, I feel like there's so many things that are so valuable, but they're not mm -hmm. productive. And so they would never make a list, but they count as like really valuable parts of your life. Right. And I feel like those are the things that we don't give credit for. So we end up pressuring ourselves or feeling like failures when actually we are more than not living the life that we want to live. See, I don't make lists. I don't, I, I, I don't, not a list maker. I'm not a list maker, but maybe in a different way. Well, that's not true. Yeah. Like you write down compartments of time during which you're going to do things. That's a list. Also hashtag oh, whiteboard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 
I, I think yeah, you have like I think literally eight hundred square feet of whiteboard. <laughs> you have you list ideas and not tasks. Yeah, is that would that be fair to say? That'd probably be more fair. Like okay. within this time frame, I want to think about this idea. <clears throat> it doesn't always happen, but again, I, I feel like that's more of a suggestion. So mm. it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm out of lists. To me, are very. Uh, confining i don't know mm. like even even i have a problem with my my compartments honestly like uh but i'm also i don't i don't take them off i just took a, a couple off of my of my sections just because i was never doing them mm. <laughs> so i had to be honest with myself yeah but then there's other ones that i might not do all the time but i still like them there because it reminds me hey you've put this time towards this you know and i've also been kind of questioning like well maybe i need to actually spend more time because I think too is like what I found is I, I end up trying to do put too many things into a space and that I need to kind of allow a little bit more freedom. Like just today, I was thinking maybe I should just think of like what one thing am I going to get done today? Like what one block of time I should have on my calendar instead of three blocks or something like that. You know, just and again, maybe it's just a season too where sometimes you're more hyper productive and sometimes you're not, you know, and that you kind of have to adjust, adjust your list or write down the new yeah. things, you know? So and maybe I am lying. I, I do make a list. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you just had to say it out loud. That's right. That's true. To get to the... Look, you're teaching us so much. Oh. <laughs> well, I think one thing I'm actually, uh, that I'm curious of on, on yours is because I, you know, obviously I know you pretty well, <laughs> but it, that you kind of went, through the creativity coach part and then uh, art journaling, but also just working with Mama Bloom. Uh, I guess I, I see that you really have this enjoyment of the, it, everything's kind of more relational in, in what you do, but it's also on the creative part and also in, in engaging with your inner being. Uh, why why is that specifically interesting to you as far as even with even with as you are a doula too? There's this part that you're 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 helping other people connect with things that are inside them. So it seems like that's kind of like a theme for the things that you're interested in. Yeah, I would say so. And it probably comes from the what I now understand is that I've lived very disconnected from my own self hmm. for most of my life. And now that I'm realizing that, now that I am in this for have been for several years now, intense process of differentiation, mm -hmm. um, I realize I've that I've my way of being has has been to be very disconnected from my own inner world, mm -hmm. and when I realize when I realized that um, it was terrifying. It felt like existential terror um, to realize I don't know who I am. I don't know how to connect with who I, what is really in me. Um, and then art journaling was a really gentle way of doing that. Hmm. And it's really, it's been so powerful for me. And I think that I know not everyone, not everyone's going to love it. Not everyone's going to be open to it, um, especially men for some reason. <laughs> and I still have like such a question mark about that, but 
You had one guy on there. He he kind of gave you some feedback when. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what? Um, a friend of mine joined our my last online art journal session, and it was the first man that had come to my workshops, and it was it was great. And then I talked with spoke with him afterward about like why, like why are are men like I know some that are like kind of interested, but no one like jumps in. No one has ever done the workshop except for him. And so what do you have to say about it? He has some great things to say about it. Um, he said for one, it, he's already in a very, his own personal process of trying to heal and grow. And so he's, you know, he's working with a therapist. He's doing lots of inner work on himself. And then, so his wife had seen my email and, they're, these are past doula clients of mine, so I, I know them. They're, they know me. He's like, so I, I'm already doing my inner work. Ruth told me that she's been to your workshops and she loves it and she approves. So she was like, go ahead and do this. <laughs> she's like, do this, you'll love it. Um, so he had that reassurance, and then just the safety of knowing me already. But he brought up an interesting point about safety. He was like, I don't think there are men feel safe enough in a um, container, especially a container of other uh, full of women to do this vulnerable, Mm. um, vulnerable work. And that made me really sad, but I feel like it's probably very true. Um, What, what do you think the danger is? Well, you know, he, he's coming in to this group aware of like, you know, there's probably going to be mostly women. They're probably, it's a very vulnerable space. People are processing inner work. And for a lot of women, just having a man in the room can cause guards to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a videographer and he often does weddings. And so he was talking about how he, his like tricks and strategies for making the, you know, he has to film the the bride getting ready with her bridesmaids. And so he walks in the room and he's like, I, I know the things to say to like get everyone you know, disarmed and um, just comfortable with him being in this sacred women's space. So it's like he's aware that women can, ha- it, just his presence can cause guards to go up and he doesn't mm. want to do that. Um, and and then also just this, I think there's a stigma around men being vulnerable and doing inner work in general. I think if you're trying to heal or you're trying to figure out who you are and you actually ask yourself that question, like what's my inner world actually like? You might not want to be honest about the answer to that. Sure. And I think it may be that men are more afraid to answer that question honestly, even in a piece of art or in a private journal entry than women. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's true? I'm trying to figure out if I'm just like mapping that on men and women in unfairly, but I, I think part of the reason might be, well, if you're a man and you ask yourself, um, you might n- notice some anger inside of you and you ask yourself, what am I angry about and how angry am I? What if the answer is enough that I can't keep myself under control if I answer that honestly? Hmm. Right. 
or I'm ashamed. Well, how, what am I ashamed about? The answer to that might be everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of men's experience in the world that our, our value is in standing up, doing things with integrity and discipline, something like offering the world some amount of security or reliability. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're afraid if, that if we're not good enough for that, then what, what are we? What's possibly left? I don't think that, I think women have insecurity as well, but perhaps it doesn't go quite that deep. And it's a different kind of insecurity that women have than men. I think men tend to not want to look at those things deeply because it might invalidate them completely. Mm. Yeah, that, if that's the case, that would be terrifying. And I would not want to do that in front of a group of women. Right. <laughs> Well, I think there's also, I mean, you when you're, when a guy comes into a more, a space where that's kind of maybe more designated for women or that there's just a lot of women in that space is you're also dealing with, if, especially if you're the only guy there, if it's a group of people where it's like five guys and five girls or whatever, that's a little bit different, but one or two, it's like, there's that sort of like, if there's anything I think if, if a woman or women have something against a man, he kind of takes on that that persona sure. of that. So which, I think I mean, it's harder for one guy to come into the room, which I would say, I don't right. know if that would be the same vice versa. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, that would really come down to the facilitator and who's holding mm, that space, true, right? True, like true. Um, someone would have to be you know, aware and competent to make it feel safe. Mm -hmm. But I guess my curiosity is, you know, okay, so maybe art journaling or expressive journaling, maybe that's just like pigeonholed into this like crafty women's world hmm. thing. Like maybe yeah. there's just a stereotype around it that feels avoidable. Um, or like, well, that's like girl stuff. Um, and I also think that circling up is, is a very feminine way. Um, we tend to make circles and like relate one-on-one. -on -one. But the art journaling online especially is not that. It's a very individual process that you do just simultaneously with other people. And I just feel so curious because what I'm doing and why it quote unquote works is not about, it's not feminine. It's just human. The human brain, the deeper parts of the brain, the right side of the brain, the language of that is, is image. Mm -hmm for all of us. And so you're making space to let image come out first and then the words. And that's just, it would work. It, it would work for men just as well as women. But for some reason, um, men aren't interested. And so I'm like, is there a different way? I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it's just like, well, let me try this on. Cause in this type of thing, I would rather do this by myself. Like I, I wouldn't have as much interesting or much interest in doing it with other people. But I don't know if that's like just a me thing or uh, right. if that's more maybe 
more males are kind of mm-hmm. that way. Like that's something, I don't know why that would be the case, but uh, sure. yeah, I don't, do y'all have any thoughts on that? <laughs> Cause I feel like I do, I do some of these things that you are talking about, but I would never think about doing that with other people. You do art journaling when I don't know about it. <laughs> you have a secret art journal somewhere, babe. <laughs> well, you've seen the things like I draw and stuff like that. I mean, I don't tear pages out, you know, but like, uh, but as far as like images and symbol, symbol symbols mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that, right? you know, I, I do see like there's certain things I'll think about and it's in a symbol and therefore I kind of like somehow represent the symbol outside of myself and it starts to take on a story of its own, yeah. you know, so... um. <clears throat> But I, I don't, it wouldn't occur to me to do that with other people or, you know. That, uh, or to seek guidance mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. Well, I just listen to you. I learn from you and I just do it myself. <laughs> That's news to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, trying I, to- I learn from a lot of things you do. You do all these cool things and I just, I just take them, <laughs> incorporate them. <laughs> Good. Carry on. I, I mean, I'm trying to, I do relate with why men... <clears throat> wouldn't want to sign up for an art journaling class, but I'm trying to understand what it is me in me that relates to that. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's something where like if we were all hanging out and you said, Hey, let's try this art journal thing or this, you know, and we just in person impromptu, yeah. I would probably put up some resistance to it and then do it and really enjoy it. Yeah. And I've told you that I wanted to come to your workshops, but yeah. I haven't done it. Yeah. And I think that has something to do with, I want to be somehow active and productive in the world. Mm-hmm. Like I think that men tend to want to act upon the world mm. to feel valued. Mm-hmm. And so in general, I'm like, well, it's Saturday or it's Sunday. I want to go do stuff and work on projects. I want to <clears throat> fix things, change things, um, reorganize things. things, build things yeah. and art expressive journaling. I, you're using art and expressive interchangeably. Are you trying to rebrand to expressive journalism? <laughs> Journaling? Journalism? No, <laughs> no it, it's just, a, I, I just go back and forth on it. Okay. But that doesn't seem to me to fit into any of those categories that I just listed. It's not productive. Mm, not in a way that something about my masculinity responds to yeah fair enough any ideas about what would make it feel more well and then i was thinking about what michael said about it you're you you would do it on your own because i think well despite everything i just said i really enjoy spending about an hour between like 9 30 and 10 30 or 9 30 and 11 sitting at my desk and journaling just writing yeah quiet but there's something to me that's really important that it happen at the end of the night. Hmm. Like I don't really do that during the day. So maybe if you did an art journaling class at like nine thirty or ten, call it Matt's class. <laughs> Matt's class. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, <clears throat> do you think that's a masculine thing to want to do more introspection and reflection at the end of the day? Is that a Matt thing or is that a male thing? I don't know. You have any ideas? It's probably more of a Matt thing. A Matt thing. Yeah, because okay. I think. There's, I think people process things at different times. And I kind of wonder if, you know, just group stuff in general, 
Well, I, I think of Andrea. I mean, she's she's a she's a pretty pretty big introvert, and she does does this stuff. You guys do that together, and yeah. Uh, I mean, she really does. It sounds like gets a lot from that sort of group group type situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to. I mean, I, I want to try to be careful of not not naming things like masculine and feminine, and that there's there are certain personalities. But then I do I do see how women sort of gather in a certain way, and men gather in a certain way. Mm-hmm. There are distinctions, and it's not that again, men can't art journal. You know, it's like that's. I think <clears throat> I actually think that in today's world, like men have a lot more freedom to maybe be outside of some of those more you know traditional spheres and stuff like that, which is, which is kind of cool. So, so I need to figure out a way to frame art journaling as conquering the world. (laughs) And then maybe I could have some dudes (laughs) show up. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's it's a similar problem um, that we encounter too in the postpartum work that I do because, you know, we have these postpartum moms groups and we come together and it's just like so rich and so supportive and there's just nothing for dads. No, there's nothing. In terms you, of... Maybe say a little bit more about the postpartum just so that people understand what that is and what um, you do. Yeah. So for, um, I work for Mama Bloom and we host uh, six week long postpartum groups for moms that just had new babies or maybe they have older kids, but they also just added a baby. And within these groups, we facilitate the moms get, you know, they experience peer support. We're bringing resources. We're... Um, creating community, we're creating, you know, per, kind of battling against isolation and all kinds of, you know, the hard things that can happen in the postpartum world. Um, and so we often talk about partners and they'll ask us like, I wish there was something like this for my husband. And I, we hear that a lot, but there's really not. I mean, the only thing that comes close is that there's an organization for postpartum parents where both parents come. Um, they're called PIP and I just did workshop with them. They were awesome. Uh, anyway, but it doesn't exist. And I, I feel like it has something to do with this difference of ways of being between males and females. Like we are Mm -hmm. so relational and so it's so natural for us to like sit. Um, I heard someone describe it this Mm. week, actually, like women will sit like, eye to eye. Like we're looking, we're like face to face looking at each other, but men gather and stand shoulder to shoulder and look out. Like that would be more, a more masculine way of gathering, which feels true to be. Yeah. There's some evolutionary, like, uh, I've heard some evolutionary uh, explanations of that as far as like men looking out, looking for the danger. And so kind of being more used to talking side by side because you're out looking. Right. Standing are, watch. Standing yeah. watch. And women yeah. are gathering in the hearth and home and, uh, you know. Caring uh, for the young. Caring for the Gathered young. around the young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even with your podcast, uh, Shores of Ignorance, like what, what comes up in my mind is the two of y'all standing side by side, like looking, looking out, out at the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Right. Uh-huh. And. So there's some, to me, there's something natural about that. Mm -hmm. And maybe a container for art journaling for men would have to be reoriented in some way. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I noticed after I got divorced, I spent some time looking for groups for single dads. 
you know, whether it's to figure out how to, you know, navigate being a single dad or being a divorced parent or, you know, anything because you're going through something that's crazy new and confusing and there's a lot on the line. And I, I found very few groups and the groups that I did find did not seem to be active at all. Hmm. So I think to the extent that people try to start things for men, for dads, for men, the men just don't come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't show up. Right. Or, and yeah. I kind of get it because part of me was like, you know, I had a fairly contentious divorce and part of me was like, well, if I go and try to seek support from other men on what I'm going through, then I'm going to have to talk about what I'm going through. And that's going to expose me to danger, whether through litigation or personally with my kids. I mean, there's like a part of me that I'm just going to bury that. I'm not going to speak it out loud Yeah. because it's like, say it out loud. It's going to make it real, more real. And I was trying to be as careful as I could possibly be and going in the idea of going and venting to a bunch of strange dads about my experience in, in an attempt to get what camaraderie or validation or anything felt like a risk that I wasn't, that I was very hesitant to take. Sure. Yeah. It makes so much sense when you put it like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you guys think that men need peer support? I think we all do. I don't think it's good for anybody to live their lives alone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we talked about, it's back to that same book I referenced earlier from the student of Carl Jung, when he describes the feminine and masculine archetypes, he has this great line, which is that the feminine is what is. The masculine has to emerge from that. It has to, it it has to become. And so I think that there's a natural part of masculinity that doesn't want support, doesn't want help. It wants to differentiate and individuate and not need anybody. Well, that's no good. And Neumann says that, like, it's part of, well, you've got to go reincorporate what you've differentiated from. I think it's harder for the masculine to do that than the feminine. And I'm using the archetypes there, not talking specifically about men and women, but given that those archetypes map roughly onto men and women, hmm. it does seem true to me that men are most likely to be like, let me do it. I don't need help. Yeah. I've heard this in in the same, <clears throat> in some, some ways of uh, why men have a, a higher sexual drive than women do because it, it 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 makes them seek out that you know that that companionship you know um, you know because because we wouldn't do it otherwise we wouldn't do it otherwise <laughs> well so this is going to be a huge can of worms to open mm-hmm. but um, the three of us were talking about this seminar that I shared with y'all by this man named David Schnarch. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think so. that's how it's said. It's like S C H N A R C H. Schnarch. Yeah. Schnarch. And I would love to talk more in depth about everything that he said because it's a really brilliant seminar. But one of the things he said was that as these species, human species evolved, 
we went from females having a mating season, so being in mm. heat once a year, to having this uh, month-long menstrual period. And part of the effect of that was, you know, if, if the females are going to be in heat once a year, men are going to come around during that point in time. Mm. But then the rest of the time, they're not going to come around. They're going to be gone. They're going to be off doing whatever they're doing, fighting, building, breaking down. Looking for the other in-heat women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But once you move to the cycle where the man doesn't know when he's going to get sex, it's going to be mm. all the time Hidden or very population. frequently, yeah. that actually is an evolutionary force to make us build relationships. And relationships helped evolve us and grow us into the intelligent species that we are. And so there was a forcing mechanism there. I find that stuff absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Just even like the hidden, the idea of hidden ovulation, you know, and that uh, uh, any even you see all the cultures built around this sort of idea of uh, faithfulness because you know only the woman knows that it's her baby. Uh, a man cannot know or or if that kid is his kid, or his his as part of his genes and. And you see culture sort of built around that sort of idea of, oh, why there's marriage and monogamy and stuff like that is that it's pro it's more for the man than it is for the woman. But then also there's that part where, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, to have that partner that helps you uh, raise the kid and protect the kid and feed the kid and, you know, uh, I just I just find it fascinating that that a lot of that's kind of just built into our just physiology in our in our yeah. relationship, male and female too. So. Mm -hmm. But back to your question about do you think men need support? Is that how you asked the question? Yeah, well, peer support groups. Hmm. Well, and someone was it you said earlier like that it, it comes back in older age. Did someone just say that, or did I make that up? It, what anyway? A, something made me think about like all the old men at Barton Springs. Oh yeah, totally. Uh -huh. And <laughs> I love it. You know, like my dad. I'm put my speedo on and go down there. I'm sure somebody <laughs> will talk to me. It's but the yeah. truth, man. Well, and there's literally a statue of three old guys mm. sitting around talking. Mm -hmm. um, and then like my dad, he every Saturday morning goes down to the pawn shop and meets meets his meets his buddies, and they have coffee and you know, have, their, have a powwow every yeah. Saturday morning. Um, so it's not hard to, like, I know men end up, they, old men gather yeah. in a way that seems way more feminine, but I don't see middle-aged men doing that as much. I no, don't know. Not as much. You know, maybe it is part, the part of you that as you get older, as we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, the part of you that softens and is a little bit more okay with embarrassment and things like that, that allows you to reincorporate what you left behind as you grew up. And so maybe since men do have a tendency to try to individuate and differentiate more than women do, it takes more for us to, <clears throat> it takes that movement into older age to start reincorporating ourselves into things like relationship and community because when we're young men hmm. like men are very romantically 
infatuated with ideas like the Lone Ranger. You know, mm. like I'm going to get my horse and my gun and just take take to the range and head west, and mm. I'm going to be this shadowy, mythical figure that people shudder when they hear about and ride into town for a whiskey and a, you know. I mean, but it is that unique to our culture? No, I think it's, there's something different. It's interesting just... Yeah, I'm using Western across, imagery, yeah, but... A man across many cultures is that, you know... Like in Japan, I think it would be like a ninja. Yeah, uh-huh. or a samurai in yeah. uh, Chinese culture, uh-huh. yeah. Well, it, it's it's interesting because women, they have something to offer the world inherently, you know, which is uh, to give life. And there's something that just, I don't think men don't have that same thing. They don't to, to, to bring to the world that we have to make something. And you kind of see us even with a lot of the dating uh, profiles and, and our stats, which is, you know, women will date across the economic spectrum and up men will date down. They'll date anyone along the whole spectrum of the, of the, so it's, all, it's expected of men, too, to be at least equal to their mate or better. And I, I'm just speaking economic terms, you know, but mm-hmm. I think that's also status, uh, probably in, in a lot of the sort of the, a lot of the metrics, you know. And so I think there's something inherent in that women bring life into this world and they're looking for a mate that's at least equal, if not better. You know, it's like where men are willing to date down the social classes or economic classes because you know they provide something that that is that protection is that life uh, sort of I guess protection, which it doesn't matter where you are on that on that spectrum. How does that relate to men romanticizing the Lone Ranger idea in their youth? Well, I, don't, I don't know if I was addressing that specifically. Okay. I, just more of more in general how like men and women and their mating strategies are, are different and that men have to make something of themselves and that there's a sort of lone ranger aspect, you know, it's like, and then you have in, in all those stories with a lone ranger or you have these, these women that are like, Oh my gosh, you know, it's like, they see this strong man that's able to provide and protect. And so they become more desirable. And you see that in our cultures too, like men that have the Ferrari or, responsibility or they're, they're more desirable than men who don't have that. Yeah. So that tied it together for me. Thanks. I did. Men, (laughs) men have this inherent drive to go make something of themselves in, in some, some imagery that's represented in sort of the Western epic as the Lone Mm -hmm. Ranger. But it's the idea that you go out and you make something of yourself. And then once you sort of come back into town to the proverbial town you have this status that attracts women and the women then reincorporate you into the community and the culture mm. they they culture you mm. and that's a good thing yeah because very few women will want to date the guy in the basement playing video games mm-hmm. or a guy will date the the maid or or whatever and marry that person you know it's like it, the guy's less desirable than the than the woman in the, in that instance. I don't think I'm making this point very well, but there's, I've, I've definitely <laughs> seen this sort of like, <laughs> like maybe men are less picky than women are. <laughs> I, 
I think that we were talking about something and then you thought about that idea and you went, oh, I love that idea. Okay. And then you just wanted to talk about that idea. <laughs> That's probably too, too. <laughs> True, too. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So, so men taking a, art classes. Yeah, if you're, <laughs> a man, if you're a man out there, consider an art journaling class. All right, I'll be on more on top of it here. Uh, so like whenever I was a stay-at-home dad for a year and a half and oh, yeah. I I was looking for a guy's group too, you know, I was like, oh, is there other dad, dads around, to, you know, taking care of their kids. And so I looked up this one group and it was called SADS, SADS, stay-at-home dads. <laughs> it's called SADS. Yeah, it's going to be a no like, for me, what dog. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> oh, even, like, how did that even come into existence? Uh-huh. It's like the worst. Nobody wrote that down and looked at it and was like, yeah, you can't name something that if you want people to come. Yeah, obviously I didn't <laughs> if go. If it's not about grief. Come join the sads. I was curious enough to look. Maybe Allison looked and said that was no, here. No, that but was all you. It was me. Okay, cool. <laughs> You're proud of yourself. Well, I, just, I was yeah. curious enough to actually look for, hey, is there another group of dads that, mm-hmm. you know, take care of the kids? And and that totally was, I was not interested in that at all. I don't think, I, I didn't go to one like meetup or anything like that. Mm. So. Well, I am going to come to your art. Expressive journalism. Okay, well here. Journalizing. 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 Uh, Well, here's my question. Here's another question. If it was an only men's group, would that be more comfortable or less comfortable? I have a feeling men would be more likely to respond to that. Mm -hmm. If you, and you made a deal of it, like this is going to be men's only. Yeah. Okay. Would it matter if it was a group of men that you knew? Or a group of men that you didn't know? Mm, I don't think it would matter. No? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I wonder if it would matter if it was a guy leading it or a, or a woman leading it. What do you think? Better if a woman led it. Hmm. I can see that. Do I think. Yeah. I don't currently know any men at all that lead art journaling sessions. <laughs> so well, I can I'm train y'all curious, up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, so, I mean, since I'm in your world a lot with the whole postpartum thing, I do understand the need for men somewhere, somewhere for men to, to like when I used to go with you on your second or third doula meetup, that was so helpful for guys to have someone to talk to be like, Hey, mm-hmm. can I have sex with my wife? Yes, you can. You know, it's like it, it after a while, after a while, and then. Well, I was talking about before, even before, you know, it's like, yeah, (laughs) up, you know, up to to whenever they give birth. And it's like, just be able to say like, you know, and then afterwards, like, yeah, there's a time period where that's not very good. And then there's kind of up to you guys to kind of negotiate that beyond, you know, a month or two, you know, and, and that's something that, you know, those are just real things that, you know, you need to hear as a, as a man too. It's like, you know, because you were thinking that I was like, When's the next time I can have sex with my wife? You know, is it like, does she have to stop breastfeeding? Is this years from now? Or like, what is, what is this? You know, <laughs> when can I get back to the sex? Um, but, but it's true. It's, it's, it's like, we have a, we have a, we have a desire. We, we want sure. that. And it's and that's like, it's very real. And though, they would never men. ask me those questions. No, uh, uh, they feel ashamed. To I mean, ask me I would, question. I mean, I obviously would like invite any kind mm. of questions, but like they would never ask me. Mm-hmm. And it was like beautiful that you got to have those moments where I mean it was more, more we didn't talk just about sex but it was other things too you know as far as like you know how to support your wife you know in the first sure. few months and what can you do even though you feel like you might be useless and that kind of stuff so sure yeah it wasn't just about sex no. <laughs> good. um okay so you're feeling like 
it would be more comfortable with a man leading the group. Oh, I don't. No. No. Okay. Well, I, 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 I'm probably not the right person Michael's to like, ask I'm this question. I'm not going to be in this group ever. <laughs> so over to you, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I think Matt, Matt's more good in this area. I, I'm kind of, I, I'm more, I like doing things on my own. So that's, uh, I know you do. That. As we just talked about for the last hour. <laughs> totally. Well, why don't we wrap this one up here tonight? Oh, has it already been that long? Yeah. Mm. Oh, that went fast. It did go fast. <laughs> oh, I'm like, this is fun. We'll continue the conversation. I want to keep, I want to come back. Please do. I always love when you're on. So fun. Thank you guys so much. Thanks definitely. for being here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cheers. 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 Love you both. Uh, love love you all too. out there. Thanks for listening. Yeah.